Kia Koto and welcome to this week's episode of Let's Get Sexual. I am Alicia and I'm the host of this sexually explorative podcast. Hello again. I'm back for another midweek episode with Alicia Fay, one of which I'm sure is the much anticipated follow-up to the episode on libido. In this follow-up episode, I will discuss how we can have agency over our libido. In the initial episode, I discussed what libido is, some of the myths around libido, a few ways libido can be impacted, and then I highlighted a new way of thinking about libido, a system of sexual breaks, accelerators, and context. Knowing these areas can help provide us with knowledge and understanding, but often we are left wondering, okay, and? We want to know how we can apply this information into our actual life. How can we work with our libido in a way that feels like we aren't just reacting to it, but more that we have a respectful relationship which we have agency over? As we now know, libido isn't static. It is a changing factor in our lives. For some of us, it might be more stable. For others, it might change a lot more frequently. And both of those are okay. There are various ways to impact our libido. I don't like to indicate that we are improving our libido. That is to imply that there is something wrong with it in the first place. Most people look to increase their libido, however, there are also those who want to reduce it. Please note that the information in this episode is not individual advice. This is a collation of ideas about potential ways to have agency over your libido. In fact, the things I discuss are even more important than that. They are tools that can help you deepen your relationship with yourself, they can help you reclaim your sexual essence, understand yourself more as a sexual being, which you are and shouldn't be ashamed of, step into your sexual selves, and live the sexual life you deserve. This is not always about sex. Sex is an act of sexuality. However, sexuality is more than that. And the more we know about ourselves as a sexual being, the more we own that, the more fulfilling and empowering our lives will be. These ideas I have collated from a range of sources, some of which my thoughts, my interpretation of things I have learnt, and some are more relevant to a particular source, such as the book Come As You Are. This takes me into one of the most important points I want to make before I provide the information I'm going to cover in this episode. So before you go roaring into this guns blazing, ready to change your libido, ask yourself, why am I doing this? And really be honest with yourself. Is it because your libido has been low for a while and you want some potential ways to add fuel to it? Is it because you feel like there's something wrong with you, that you aren't enough, or that you are too much? Is it because you're being pressured by someone else? Is you or your sexual partner's libido causing friction in your relationship? Do you feel like you are limited by your libido? There are countless reasons for why you might want to impact your libido. Your reasons are your own. However, knowing your reasons, owning them, and understanding them can help give you power over decisions you want to make. Our libido can give us a lot of information about our current situation. It might be telling us that we are stressed. It might be saying we are overstimulated or indicating that we are feeling triggered by our trauma, causing our libido to increase or decrease. It might be saying that we don't feel connected to our partner, or that we are disrespecting our boundary or being inauthentic. It might be noting that our irritable bowel syndrome is playing up, or that the pain and fear being caused by endometriosis or vaginismus, etc. is flaring up. It might be saying life is good, that you're excited about the present and feeling content with where the future is going. Understanding what can impact our libido and how it's turning up in our life can really provide us information about what is happening. I highlighted a few things that might impact your libido in the previous episode. Each of these things provides you with information about yourself. You can do a warrant of fitness of your life. Why could your libido be impacted at the moment? What is happening in your life? We often judge ourselves quite harshly on our libido, rather than listening to it, rather than acknowledging it. If libido is a reflection of our current state, it might help to see it as information rather than punishment. Also, another way to look at libido is as a seasonal thing, with ebbs and flows. It is natural and normal for your libido to ebb and flow. Maybe ask yourself if you prefer to just allow that to be. However, if your libido feels stuck, if it feels like it's been low or high for a long time and you're wanting to potentially change it up, that's okay too. Although libido might be seasonal, it is also up to you to impact it as you see fit. So based on this, I encourage you to ask yourself some key questions. Try not to filter the answers or judge yourself for them. A great indication of when this might be happening is when you pause to write on the page or say it out loud. As you're writing something down, you're like, oh, I don't really want to say that. That feels uncomfortable. Take a breath in and a long breath out when that happens and just write it out. This is for you. This is for you to understand yourself and your life more. Be gentle and kind with yourself. Question one, why do I want to impact my libido? Question two, where or who does this reason come from? Question three, am I holding judgment about my libido? 
Where do I think this might come from? Question four. If libido is a reflection of my current state, what could my libido be telling me about mine? Question five. What do I think will improve if I impact my libido? Question six. Who will be impacted by it and how? Question seven. After asking myself these questions, how do I feel about actively engaging with my libido? Asking yourself these questions is an invitation to open up dialogue with your inner self. Often there is so much happening in our lives and we are so reactive to it. Taking time to be with ourselves, contemplating questions with as little judgment as possible, acknowledging what comes up strengthens our ability to understand ourselves, identify what might feel authentic and what might not, and use this to feed into where we want to go. I also have another invitation for you, if you feel safe and interested in trying it out. It's not for everyone, so if it's not for you, that is fine. But if you're interested in doing it, or if this is something that you commonly do, I do invite you to bring this into this experience. When you are asking yourself the questions I noted before, either writing the answers down or potentially speaking them out loud, you can even record them if you're comfortable doing that, try to notice if there are any sensations in your body as you write or speak. What I mean by this is, does your body have any reaction to those questions and your responses? Does it get tight? Does your breath get shallow? Does your body feel warm or light? Is there any part of your body that reacts? For example, your fingers or your head or your pelvis. You might feel nothing, and that's okay. You might feel numbness, and that's also okay. This process is about acknowledging and allowing. Acknowledge any sensation you might feel and allow it to be. Maybe write down or speak out what you are feeling in your notes. This can provide more information about the responses you are putting down. For example, if I acknowledge that I want to impact my libido and I'm writing down it's for me and I get this constricted feeling, sitting with that constricted feeling going, okay, I'm feeling constricted, I'm feeling tight. What is that telling me? It could be telling me that I'm judging myself because I want to change my libido. It could be telling me that actually that's not quite right. And I might not know why I have that feeling. That's okay. Sometimes we are aware of what that feeling is telling us, and other times we're not quite sure what that sensation is trying to let us know. Even just noting down what the sensation is can give us information and power. Our body provides us with so much information stored from our past that shows up in our present. If you're comfortable, spend some time with those sensations. See if any emotions or images come up. Not everybody's comfortable bringing awareness to their body during these processes, but I encourage you to give it a try. We have dissociated from our body so often that there are these blockages between our body trying to send us information. The more we practice tuning into our body, allowing it to speak to us and acknowledging what comes up, the stronger that process gets, the more we can tap into it. I have had historically a very bad relationship with my body. I exist very much in my mind I have a lot of judgment to my body and its processes which meant that when I started out on the embodiment journey listening to my body engaging with my body and what it was trying to tell me and embodying that process I started off with a lot of blockages I had no idea what people were saying when they were saying tap into your body what sensations do you have I was like I don't know I don't have any sensations that in itself was information for me that I didn't have the relationship with my body I wanted to, that the communication between my body and my mind had a blockage. And working on that, encouraging my body to open up, listening to my body, just improved the neural pathways in my brain, which enabled me to identify what was happening in my body. And I'm still working at it. In fact, it's a daily process for me. And I try to do a five-minute practice every day to just encourage that relationship and communication between my body and my mind. In my unconscious, they are always communicating with each other. However, in my conscious and my subconscious, there's a lot more work to do. I'm going to discuss 12 ways that you can engage with and impact your libido. Please note that these are not relevant for everyone. Some of you might find that... Some of them resonate more than others, and that's okay. Some of you might not find any resonate at all, and I really hope that's not the case, but sometimes it's reality. I recommend before you listen to this, go and listen to the podcast episode I have on libido, so what it is and what can impact it, because I'm not going to be discussing those impacts as much, and if you go through those key impacts I've discussed, things like medication and stress, etc., go through those first and think, is there anything here that could be affecting my libido? Can I be changing my medication? Can I be reducing the stress in my life? Is my relationship with my significant other affecting my libido? Some of the impacts I discussed before will be covered, or will be addressed by the key tools I provide in this episode. However, not all of them are. So go through that original episode first and then come and listen to this one and just get juicy and nuggets, which will discuss how you can have agency over your libido. 
This is also not an exhaustive list. There are numerous ways you can engage with and impact your libido. These are ones that I hope come from a healthy place, one of encouraging relationship more with yourself, which then opens yourself up to having more sexual desire in your life or less sexual desire, depending on what your wishes are. But it's really about cultivating a relationship with yourself. So it's not coming from a place of, I am unworthy, I am lacking, I need to change because I'm not enough or I'm too much. It's about going, I'm actually okay where I am. But I can identify that there's somewhere I want to be and I need some tools to help get there. And hopefully these are some tools in helping you get there. And overall, they just help to provide you knowledge and understanding which you can use to empower yourself to live your truest sexual expression. So let's get started. Tool number one, know your sexuality story. This first one I think is foundational to understand yourself as a sexual being. If you have listened to the first two episodes in season one, you will understand what I mean by a sexuality story. In episode one, season one, my sister Brie and I discuss our sexuality stories. And we have a bonus episode where I discuss some tools and tips about how you can identify your sexuality story. I recommend checking out that bonus episode. It provides some key questions and ideas about how you can identify your sexuality story and maybe where you want to go with it. Your sexuality story is your personal narrative about sex. It is made up of your beliefs, attitudes, feelings, and behaviours about sex. Our story is often founded on the messaging we grew up with, primarily from our parental figures and family, as well as religious institutions, schools, friends, and society. The experiences throughout our life then layer on this messaging, either solidifying it or negating it. This all then culminates into who we are now. We carry this story. It has impacted us, but we don't have to carry the story forward if it doesn't serve us. Look at this information. Try not to judge yourself for it. We are sponges and it is natural for us to want to fit into societal narratives. Looking at the information can help you look at where you are now and where you might want to go. What beliefs, attitudes might you have that you want to dismantle? It might be that you look at the way women dress and assume their sexual promiscuity. You might have guilt around masturbation if you grew up in religious settings. Or you may spend most of partnered sex trying to please the other person or worrying about how you look or smell or taste. It is okay to recognize these things, but do you want to take them with you? If you haven't already identified your sexuality story, or even if you have and you want to go back and do it again, I recommend go for it. Every time I go into my sexuality story, I find something new. I find something different. That was tool one, identifying your sexuality story. My goal is to create a guide to help people identify their sexuality stories. So keep an eye out for that. I will be releasing it on my Instagram page. I recommend following me on Instagram at Alicia underscore Faye underscore, which is also in the show notes if you want to grab this guide. I will probably have some updated questions and tips compared to that bonus episode because I did make that about a year ago. Tool two is knowing your sexual break and accelerator and the impact of context. This second tool is taken from the work of Dr. Emily Nagoski in the book Come As You Are. I discussed some of her work and her book in the previous libido episode. In that episode, I discuss sexual breaks, sexual accelerators, and the power of context. We each have a break and an accelerator, otherwise known as our sexual pedals. However, our sensitivities and the things which trigger our pedals are unique. Context is key to what stimuli will be registered as sexual stimuli and whether it will trigger a pedal. Knowing your sensitivities to your pedals can provide you with more information about yourself and what inhibits or encourages your desire. Dr. Nagoski has a short sexual temperament questionnaire, which can help you identify how sensitive your sexual accelerator and brake might be. I'll put the link in the show notes. Altogether, there are 11 statements, so 5 to determine your brake and 6 to determine your accelerator. Each statement has a Likert scale, from not at all like me to exactly like me. So you go through each statement identifying what is more like you. Statements posed for the brakes include... If I am worried about taking too long to become aroused or to orgasm, this can interfere with my arousal. Statements for the accelerator include, often just how someone smells can be a turn on. As I mentioned, there are 11 of these all together and you go through and you identify what resonates more with you. For example, I selected somewhat like me, for when I am sexually aroused, the slightest thing can turn me on. This was a break statement. And this isn't always the case for me. However, when my anxiety is high, I notice that my break can be triggered more easily. Once you answer all the statements for the break, you add up the corresponding scores and you do the same for the accelerator statements. For breaks, my score was 10 out of 20, which puts me in the medium sensitivity group. Dr. Nagoski says that half the women she has asked exist within this middle group, meaning whether or not our sexual breaks are engaged will be largely dependent on context. So risky or novel situations such as a new partner might increase our concerns about our sexual functioning. 
contexts that easily arouse us are likely to be low risk and more familiar. Things that affect us include stress levels, anxiety, overwhelm, which will all increase or reduce our interest and response to sexual signals. When it comes to sexual accelerators, I basically top the charts on all questions. The way people smell, sexual scenes on TV, people desiring me, etc. all get me going quite easily. I got 23 out of 24, which means that I'm really sensitive to sexually relevant stimuli, often things that other humans aren't even very sensitive to, such as smell and taste. So a wide range of contexts can be sexual for me, and novelty can be really exciting. Any gender can do this questionnaire. Dr. Nagossi's book is targeted to cis women. However, this is relevant for everyone. I really recommend if you have a sexual romantic partner that you do this quiz with them. It will teach you a lot about them and it will also teach them a lot about themselves and give them the tools, information and language to understand themselves and their sexuality. This is important because often we simplify this process rather than understanding how complex the situation is and how different we can be from each other. And the interaction with these petals can give us so much information to talk about what creates sexual desire for us. The second part of tool two is about the power of context. Once the sensitivity of your sexual breaks and accelerator, it can then help to look at the context and how that affects your breaks and accelerators. Dr. Nagoski has a sexy context worksheet, which helps you identify what contexts are conducive to your sexual arousal, desire, and pleasure. I'm going to quickly identify this process. Please note that I have made a few additions myself. So if you use her worksheet, which I've linked in the show notes, it might not include everything that I discuss here. Grab a pen and paper or grab a recording device and think of a positive sexual experience you've had, potentially your favorite one. It might be difficult to remember everything, but try to recall as much as you can. Maybe spend a few minutes visualizing the situation, if you are able to visualize. For those who don't have a mind's eye, focus on the feeling, how everything felt at that time in your life. And then when you feel like you've got a good enough understanding of that time, approach the questions. This task is broken down into six sections. They are not exhaustive, and if there are things that you remember that aren't there on the list, write them down. All of the information is important. The first section is writing about your mental and physical well-being, and I would also add emotional and spiritual well-being if that resonates with you. Describe things like what was your physical health like at the time? What was your relationship with and perception of your body? What was your emotional state, for example? Were you calm, relaxed, angry, anxious in that time of your life? How connected to your body did you feel? Did you worry about sexual functioning or performance? How connected to your spiritual essence were you at the time? Did you have strong religious affiliations and messaging in your life? Really focus on that situation. The second section is about your sexual partner's characteristics. What was their physical appearance? What was their physical health? Their smell? Their mental state? Their emotional state? Is there anything that you can remember about their characteristics at the time? Section three is what were the characteristics of your relationship? What level of trust did you have with the person or people you were having sex with? What level of emotional connection was there? If you sleep with this person or people relatively often, how often is the frequency of your sex? What is the nature of your relationship? Were there any states of conflict in your relationship at that time? Did you feel desired by them? Is there a power dynamic in your relationship? Section four is what was the setting you were in? Were you in a private setting or a public setting? Were you at home, at work or on a vacation? Did you have distant sex by phone or web chat? What happened in that setting prior to sex? Was the person or people you're with having sex or interacting with other people? Were they working out? What were you doing? Really focus on the setting and the environment that you were in at the time. Section five is what were the characteristics of your life? What was work like? Was it stressful? Had you just got a promotion? Did you feel excited? Was there family or friend related stress or excitement? Were there any occasions coming up? Think of the wider environment of your life at that time, which might have created the context and potentially impacted why that situation was good or not. The sixth section is what happened during the sexual activity. This is where you get specifically into the activity and the experience itself. What did you do? Was there eye contact? Was there dirty talk? How did it start off? How did you get into the sexual experience? Was there suggestive comments? Was there touch? Was it spontaneous? Was it built up? Once you got into the sex, did anybody perform oral? Did you have intercourse? Was there massage? Was there pulling of hair and spanking and fingering and sensory deprivation? For example, wearing a blindfold. Was there role play? Did you orgasm? Did they orgasm? Was there a lot of pleasure? Was there aftercare? Did you cuddle or talk afterwards or look into each other's eyes? Did you go have a shower? What happened afterwards as well as during sex? How do these acts all interact with each other? How do they move and flow together? Try to write a story of what was happening and then really focus on how did you feel? What were the feelings and sensations that you had 
during the experience. Focus on how you felt before, during, and after sex. Not just what you felt during the sex, but before and after is key. Did you feel excited before? Did you feel loved and safe and connected? Did you feel slutty and dirty? Did you feel unsure? Were there any sensations in your body? Were you feeling tingly? Were you feeling hot? Were you feeling cold? Were you feeling tight and constricted? How did these feelings and sensations potentially change during sex? Were there any changes during sex? And how did you feel afterwards? Did you feel comfortable? Did you feel safe? Did you feel complete? Did you feel satisfied? Identifying those feelings, identifying how you felt in yourself and potentially how you felt with that person or people you were with really provides information on how you want to feel during sex or how you might not want to feel. Identifying your favorite sexual experiences and going, mm, I love these feelings or oh, I didn't like that feeling so much can give us information about our desired sexual experiences. I recommend doing this exercise for as many good sexual experiences as you possibly can because the nuggets will be in finding the commonalities between them. Identifying, oh wow, I didn't really think that's what got me going, but it is what got me going. Those pieces that resonate, those pieces that give you information. I also recommend doing it for sexual experiences that weren't that positive. But please try to refrain from doing any traumatic or harmful experiences that you had because it's not going to put you in the appropriate space and it's not going to give you the information you're actually looking for. It's focusing on more of the mediocre experiences, the ones where things could have been better because you can get a lot of information out of these in terms of what you don't want. Many of us don't actually know what we want in situations, but we do know what we don't want and focusing on what we don't want can often lead us to what we do want. From what you've written down, identify the key things that resonate with you. Identify the key situations, contexts, and people that seem to lead you to good sexual experiences. What did you feel? What did you do? Who were you with? What was your life situation? What was your mental, physical, and emotional states like? Identifying those can really help you note what contexts are going to help you thrive sexually. And then identify the things that don't help you thrive. And then from the things that you that do help you thrive, the things that don't help you thrive, identify the things that you want to change. What are you currently not doing enough of that you want to do more of? What are you currently doing too much of that you want to do less of? Identify the things that you can change in your environment to improve your context. Potentially say no to family events or focus on building intimacy with your partner. Maybe it's working on your relationship with your body or what you want to change in the situation. Maybe you want more oral. Maybe you want more eye contact. Maybe you want it to be slower or faster. Do you want cuddles after? Is there aftercare that you're not getting? Do you wish you could just get up and go for a shower? Once you have an understanding of what has created good sexual experience and what has created mediocre sexual experiences, you will have the information that you need. And I would recommend adding to this. Your next sexual experience you've had. The next day, write down what was good about it. What you would improve. What was amazing to experience, what wasn't so amazing. And remember, sex is messy. It's not going to be perfect every time. That's okay. Expecting it to be perfect every time is a lot of pressure. It's not about expecting it to be perfect. How can I get more of what I need more often? As well as allowing for things to just happen during sex. Sometimes the biggest thing during sex is actually identifying, do we feel safe and comfortable speaking up? How can we create more of an environment where we do feel comfortable doing that? I'd recommend if you have a partner, getting them to do this as well and then discussing it with your partner. How can you create context together that are conducive for both of your desires? How can you bring pleasure to your situation together? Communicating is so important. We often think people should know what we want or that they do know what we want, but that's often not the case. We need to communicate our turn on and our turn offs with each other to enable us to have more fulfilling, connected sexual experiences. Those were the first two tools. And... I would say they are the two foundational tools. Knowing your sexuality stories and knowing your sexual break accelerator and the power of context on those, once you know those, you will understand yourself a lot better and you'll understand the mechanisms of sexual desire better. After those, you might go, actually, I'm fine. I don't need to change my libido. I just felt like I needed to understand my sexual desire more. The other things I talk about are really about developing that relationship with yourself. And I think all of us can benefit more from that. These are things that I found have really helped me to have agency over my libido and how to work with it. How to identify what information it's giving me and go, okay, great. Now that I know the power of context, how can I change my context? Because I know my brakes and my accelerators. So these extra tools can help us to change our context, can help us to change what we see as sexually relevant stimuli, how we perceive that sexually relevant stimuli, how we perceive ourselves as sexual beings. So tune in. This stuff will be juicy. 
tool number three is exploration, pleasure, and play. I think exploration is incredibly undervalued when it comes to sex, and actually when it comes to life. We are incredibly focused on the doing and not the being. We're scared of failing. We're scared of wasting our time. We're scared of missing out. So we don't explore. We don't learn. We don't embrace the failure or the beginner's mindset. And that's a key part approaching sex with a beginner's mindset. We often go into sex with a mechanical approach. We have an idea of how we want to start sex. We have an idea of how we want sex to go. We have an idea of how sex should be afterwards. And although these ideas can help us because we know what we like, these ideas can also limit us. They put us in a box. Approaching sex and each sexual experience with the beginner's mindset going, what could I learn about myself today? What could I learn about my pleasure? What could I learn about another person's pleasure? If I'm having sexual experiences with another person, focus on curiosity. Exploration doesn't always lead to positive outcomes. You might do something and go, nope. That didn't work, that didn't feel good, or that was awkward, and that's okay because sex is messy sometimes. And embracing the messiness which exploration can bring will just help provide us with more ability to lean into our sexual curiosity. How can we bring play into this? Play just builds on exploration. How can we build a situation where we're playful, where we bring in our childish nature? When we're masturbating, often we do things a certain way. How can we change it up? How can we move into different positions? How can we use different things? How can we touch different places of ourselves? Take the pressure of the known off you and lean into the edges of the unknown. And when I say that, what feels comfortable enough? It's okay to lean to the edges of uncomfortability. If you feel unsafe, don't go there. But really lean into those edges as much as you feel comfortable doing. And explore your pleasure. Slow things down. In your life, slow things down. How often do we just be completely in the present, focusing on our sensations, focusing on our senses, What do we smell? What do we hear? What are we tasting? What are we touching? What is happening around us in our environment that brings us completely into the present? When we do that more in our everyday environment, we have the ability to tune into it more in sex. And often we disassociate in sex. Often we get into our head and out of our body. When we cultivate an ability to bring ourselves into the present moment, we enable ourselves to feel more pleasure. We bring ourselves back into the body. Pleasure requires you to be present in the moment, and that also requires you to be in your body. Really allowing that body-mind connection to flourish so you're not completely in your head, you're not completely deep in your body, lost in the potential emotions that are there, but you're allowing yourself to just feel things as they come up, acknowledging, recognizing, and allowing. And with sex, because we have so many expectations and sometimes limitations, we just don't allow for that exploration, that curiosity, that play, that focusing on pleasure that can be so conducive to a great sexual experience. And so if you bring those moments more into your life, so slowing down, focus on what you're doing, focus on how that feels in your body, focus on the sensations that the activity you're doing in your life. How does reading feel? How does the book feel in your hands? What is the smell of the book like? How pleasurable does it feel in that moment? Cultivate that relationship in your everyday life and bring it into your sex life. Sex is fun. Sex is messy. Take the limitations off, take the expectations out and allow yourself to enjoy and lead with pleasure. When I say enjoy and lead with pleasure, Take any goal or outcome that you expect from sex out of the picture. If you expect sex to lead to orgasm and you spend a lot of time during sex concerned about how aroused you are or how long it's taking you to orgasm, just get rid of that. Get rid of the goal. Go into sex with exploration and curiosity. Focus on pleasure and the journey rather than the destination. And that'll help you drop more into your body. It'll help you feel more present in the moment. And it will likely enable you to enjoy sex more for what it is. Remember, expectations minus reality equals suffering. So if you reduce your expectations, if you reduce the expectations of the goal and the outcome, you're likely to enjoy the reality more. And that takes us quite nicely into the fourth tool, which is identify your sexual expectations. And in all honesty, I think a lot of expectations are actually limitations. I think having too many expectations on our situations are what put us in that box. And every one of us has expectations about ourselves as a sexual being 
and sex. So as a sexual being, I'm a bisexual woman and I have an expectation of how I'm supposed to be. Sometimes I think that I'm not meeting the requirements of being a bisexual person because I'm not a 50-50 split between who I have sexual experiences with or romantic experiences. I have predominantly had sexual and romantic experiences with men. However, those expectations have limited me because I feel like I'm not meeting this requirement. Sometimes our expectations, actually a lot of the time our expectations, come from outside of us, in our environment, from our friends, from our family, from media, from ex-partners. And it's important for us to know and identify these expectations and be aware of them and how they're showing up in our life and if we want to get rid of them. So I encourage and invite you to sit down with yourself and identify what expectations might be showing up and how you see yourself sexually, how you see sexual partners and in your sex life. So for yourself, do you have expectations of what you're supposed to be? Do you have expectations of how sexy you're supposed to feel, how often you're supposed to want sex? For others, do you have expectations of how often they're supposed to want sex, how they're supposed to approach sex with you, how sexual they should be, how much they interact with you sexually? When it comes to sex, Do you have expectations about how it's supposed to start? Who's supposed to initiate? How is it supposed to start? Are you supposed to take it slow or is it supposed to happen spontaneously? For example, I found that my expectation has been that sex should be spontaneous. And so when it comes to taking it super slow, I can find that I tap out and I go, but it means you don't desire me and then I don't feel sexual. So I create a story around it. Expectations often lead us to story making. If my partner says, oh, should we just try to start something? to see where it leads. For me, the story in my mind is he doesn't find me sexually attractive in order for spontaneous desire to occur for him, so I must be undesirable. I must be unworthy. Now, this doesn't happen all the time, but when I'm in a certain mindset, it can happen. Expectations can lead to that storytelling, and it's about identifying when a story is happening in your head. Is it a reality? Did they say they don't desire you? Did they say they don't think you're sexy? No, that is not a fact. It's a story. And it provides you power when you stop yourself in storytelling and you go, wait a second, if I don't have that information, I either have to go seek it or I have to take myself out of that story and tell myself the actual facts I know. Sometimes I find it helps talking to my partner about how I have felt and opening that communication up is incredibly important when it comes to expectations and storytelling. So expectations and sex can look like sex looking a certain way. Maybe your expectation is that your pleasure isn't as important or that your pleasure is more important. Maybe you expect that you don't have intercourse or maybe you expect that it's only about intercourse. Maybe your expectation is that oral doesn't have to happen or that touch doesn't have to happen or that sounds aren't supposed to be made so you're not supposed to have farting or you're not supposed to have burping or you're not supposed to have crying or laughter. The expectations on how sex should look like at the time and often the feelings that we have during sex limit us in being fully present to the experience we're having. For example, I'm having an amazing sexual experience. I feel so present. I feel so connected. I'm having a lot of pleasure and then it will quickly change and I have an overwhelming feeling of loneliness and darkness and a sinking feeling in my stomach and that can happen so instantly. It takes me by surprise. I completely disassociate. I lie there like a log. I am triggered into a freeze response and my expectation is that shouldn't happen. There's something wrong with me. I'm broken. No. Allowing the experience to happen. Sex can bring up a lot of emotions. They can trigger a lot of states. And sometimes we don't know where that even comes from. But recognizing what's happening, allowing it to happen, and then making an action based on it, saying, okay, I've disassociated. I'm going to ask my sexual partner to stop. Or if I'm masturbating, I'm going to stop. I'm going to breathe. I'm going to bring awareness into my body. And I'm going to ask myself if I want to continue. And if I do, how do I want to continue? It's not just recognizing the expectations as they happen outside of sex. When you're in sex, what are the stories that are coming up in your mind? What are the expectations coming up? How are they affecting you in that moment? How can you accept them and move on from them? Releasing them if you can. As I mentioned, if you're able to, write down as many expectations as you possibly can outside of sex. And the next time you're having sexual experiences or the next time you're thinking of yourself as a sexual being or your partner as a sexual being, write that down. Add it to the list and think, what are my expectations? Where do I think they come from? What are they telling me about myself and how I want to turn up in this world? Is this expectation helping me or is it limiting me? And would I prefer to let go of this expectation or change the narrative? A quick tip. Often I find that I can identify an expectation because it turns up as a should. So I should be doing this or they should be doing this or this should be how the experience is. I want to quickly note that expectations can lead to boundaries. For example, if I say stop during a sexual experience with somebody, my boundary is that they stop. 
If they do not stop, there will be a consequence. It is important to note what expectations are actually boundaries. What do you need to have in those experiences to feel safe, to feel secure, to feel respected, to feel whole? If that expectation you've identified is required in order for you to feel those things, that is a boundary and they are important. They're not to be overstepped. They're not for you to ignore. Those boundaries are important and help you in your given situation. Tool number five, build a friendship with your body. Many of us have a difficult relationship with our body. We grow up in a society which prioritizes the mind over the body and act as if the body is holding us back. But the body is wisdom. The body is integral to us as beings on this planet. Our mind does not exist without the body and the body does not exist without the mind. Descartes really did us a disservice by saying that I think, therefore I am. Because we are not just our conscious brain. There is so much more to us. And all of the information being sent to our brain is from our body. And then our brain works out what to do with it and feeds information back to our body. It is a constant feedback loop between them. They are not separate. They are part of one entity. So building a relationship, building a friendship with our body is important. I don't think that you have to always like your body. I think there is a movement around that you don't have to love your body. And I would say that you should aim for loving your body. I love my parents. I love my family members. I love my partner. But I don't like them all the time. But I respect them. I respect what they bring to my life. And I respect the place they hold. And I think it's the same for our body. We don't always have to like it. But if we can cultivate a loving relationship with it, it will lead us to better things. Knowing how to listen to our body brings us into an authentic, connected, empowering sexual experience. Our body provides us so much information during sex. It is telling us what feels good and it is telling us what feels bad. Often we override the sensations. We think, nope, I don't want to feel that. It's wrong. So I'm going to ignore it. This can lead to us disassociating or our body shutting down. It can lead to numbness. For example, I've had so much sex where I didn't want it where I've overridden my body's messages to me saying, no, I'm not ready, I don't want this. And I've convinced myself that it's okay or that I do. Cultivating a relationship with my body now, cultivating a relationship where I respect my body, where I have friendship with it, means that I don't do that to it. I would not treat my friend like that. I would not force it to do things where it was unsafe. I would not force my friend to do things they didn't want. So why would I do it to myself and my body? Be gentle with your body. It doesn't always do exactly what you want it to do. It doesn't always respond the way you want it to respond. But it is you. Why is it not responding that way? Listen to it. Our body is wisdom. It will tell us things if we listen. It took me a long time to start cultivating that relationship. And I'm still cultivating it. It's not easy. Bringing awareness into the body. Listening for the sensations. Listening where it's activated. Is it feeling tension? Is it feeling anxious? Is it feeling hot or cold or tight or heavy? Where is this feeling? Sitting with it. Being aware. Recognizing it and releasing it if needed. Focusing and listening to our body can bring us into that present moment. Enable us to access more pleasure. Enable us to respond to that pleasure more authentically. How we can do this is through things like breath work. I don't know if you've seen my recent Instagram post, but I talk about how the exhale is a fucking amazing thing. When you bring awareness to the exhale, when you draw out your exhales during sex, and even in life, you are expanding your potential for pleasure. So I'm going to give you an example in sex, and I'm going to give you an example in self-pleasure. In self-pleasure, often I really tense up, focusing on that orgasm, focusing on getting to that end goal. It would all center around my clitoral glands and usually the vibrator I'm holding on it or the pillow I'm rubbing myself against. And what it does is all of the sensation comes centralized to this area. You can't really feel sensation anywhere else. Now, when that's happening, when you're feeling the tension in that one space, bringing awareness to your breath, because often we hold our breath without realizing it, bringing awareness to your breath, breathing in and then drawing your exhale out, really feeling that exhale move through your body and making it longer than your inhale if you can. Oh my gosh, I really hope that this has an effect on you like it does on me and like it does on so many people. Because what I find is that it draws that pleasure from that central spot all the way through my body. It's like this beautiful electric honey dripping through my body. And the more I do that, the longer my pleasure sessions can go, the more I understand how pleasure can change shape throughout your body, how pleasure doesn't have to be this tight sensation and this giant leap to the top and then off the mountain cliff. It can be this really rolling, amazing electric experience. And every time I do it, it feels a little bit different. It really enables me to explore my pleasure. 
So breathwork is a key way that building a relationship with your body can lead you to more pleasure. Another thing that you can do to improve the relationship with your body is movement. Does your body want to move in a certain way? Are you restricting it? Are you stopping it from moving in a certain way? Often we restrict our movements to how other people want us to be. So in sex, we're scared about how we look. We're scared that parts of our body will wobble a certain way or that something will look funny from a certain angle. So we don't move our body in a way that feels good and authentic to us. And that can get us into our heads and out of our bodies as well. So listening to our body, moving in a way that feels good and authentic can really improve that relationship with our body. Cultivate the breath work, the movement, the sounding outside of sex as well that'll help you to bring it into sex because often in sex when we go into these unsure states we do what feels comfortable and known so if we're not comfortable doing movement and breath work and sounding outside of sex it is unlikely that we're going to feel comfortable bringing it into sex and when I talk about sounding and sex how you can do this is are you holding anything back are you scared of being too loud do you feel like you have to be louder than you are so you're faking the loudness are you being authentic to the sounds your body wants you to express maybe you want to groan maybe you want to scream maybe you just want to purr What is your body telling you it needs? And touch, mm, touch is so pleasurable. So when I get disassociated, often I slow the experience down, really feel the sensations, bring my awareness to those sensations, and also focus on the touch. Where is my body touching something? What is underneath me? What is on top of me potentially? What does the materials against my skin feel like? If I'm with somebody else, what does their body feel like on mine? Sometimes I have to bring touch to a certain part of my body. What part of my body is asking for that touch? Asking for a caress? Asking to be held? Sometimes I'll ask my partner to hold me because I feel like I want to flee out of my skin. So I need holding. I need grounding. Listening to my body means that I know what I need in the moment. I respect what I need in the moment. I follow through on that. And I just enable my body to feel respected, to provide more messages. And therefore, my sexual experiences are more authentic and empowered. Tool six, build intimacy. When I talk about building intimacy, build it with yourself first. Do you know who you are? Do you like who you are? Do you know who you are now and where you want to go? Often we neglect building intimacy with ourselves and we prioritize other people. But we are our own best lover. We are our own best friend. So we need to prioritize ourselves because we are the only ones that can fill our cup. It is our responsibility to fill our own cup. We are responsible for our actions and our reactions. If we don't bring awareness to ourselves, if we don't take radical responsibility for who we are and how we turn up, we are limiting ourselves and our potential for pleasure and our potential to step into ourselves as a sexual being and into relationships with other people. So build intimacy with yourself. Do you take yourself on dates? Have you potentially done life coaching? I can absolutely assure you doing life coaching highlighted things about myself that I either didn't know or didn't want to admit. And it highlighted great things about me too. Strengths that I forgot and I had or that I wanted to cultivate or that I just needed to appreciate. Do I do fun activities with myself? Have I explored hobbies? Have I spent time exploring my body? Really understanding pleasure in my body. And I don't just mean sexually. How often do you spend time just slowly washing your hair? Have you looked at your genitals properly in the mirror and explored them with as little judgment as you can possibly muster? Have you tried to find the beauty in the things that you don't find beautiful? And if you can't find beauty, have you tried to find something positive, even if it is just something that they do for you? Maybe you don't like your feet, but you can be grateful that they walk. And if you don't have that ability, if there are parts of your body which don't have the ability that you wish they had, how can you bring acceptance for that? How can you cultivate love for the fact that that part of the body is just as it is? Sometimes we need to treat our body with the respect that we want other people to treat us as. If we want other people to treat us as worthy no matter how we are, we need to treat parts of our body like that. We need to treat our body like that. So do fun activities with yourself. Explore yourself. Be gentle and kind with yourself as much as you possibly can. Talk and get vulnerable with yourself. What are you scared of? What are you excited for? Do you have goals? Get to know yourself and date yourself. If you were going on dates, what would you ask the other person? Now do that for yourself. And then if you have a partner, do this with your partner. Go on dates with your partner. How do you cultivate your relationship? Do you sit down in your relationship and check in with each other? How are you feeling about the relationship? Where can you support each other more? What is frustrating? What do you want to talk about? What goals do you want to set together? Focusing on some of these things can build that intimacy getting to know one another. When we're in relationships for a long time, we often think that we just know the other person because they're always around. But we are constantly changing and we need to appreciate that our partner is changing. How are we creating a situation that enables us with our partners to get to know each other again, be curious about each other again? When was the last time you were curious about your partner as an individual being? 
How much space do you enable in your relationship? Are you together all the time? I work in Wellington, so I go away from my partner one night every week at least, and we find the space is really beneficial for our relationship. You can feel a lot of guilt and shame because some relationships, those people don't seem to need any space from each other. But not every relationship is made the same. Not every individual in the relationship is made the same. My partner and I, we need that individual space. We thrive off it and our relationship is healthier because of it. Identify together when your relationship feels more authentic and safe and right and connected and try to bring that in more. If you want to build that sexualness up, do things like ex-confessions, download the app, go through sexual things you might want to do together. How can you bring a beginner's mindset into your sexual relationship with your partner? How can you try new things if you want to try it? Are there things that they don't know about you sexually that you want? How can you open that dialogue? Can you write some erotic texts or stories for each other? If your life is full of stress, if your life is full of busyness, doing this stuff might not help your sex life because it's the context that's making you not feel sexual desire. Focus on where this seems to be coming from. If you want to change your sexual desire, where do you think the blockages are coming from? Be gentle with identifying those blockages. Try to bring little judgment, but try to identify where those are and then match what you want to do to potentially impact it based on what could be occurring. There are so many tools out there to help you build intimacy in your relationship. My partner and I have intimacy cards, which I can link in the show notes. I also recommend discussing your love languages with each other if you haven't already. There are lots of quizzes online which will help you figure out what your love language is and your partner's love language. And then get together and discuss it. They're actually really key because the love languages are what fills your cup. So for me, words of affirmation and physical touch are my love languages. I need physical touch and words of affirmation. If my partner gives me lots of acts of service, it's a nice to have. But if he's not giving me physical touch and words of affirmation, the acts of service will not fill my cup. They're add-ons. They're not the foundation. Knowing these and talking about them with each other can really help to build understanding of the person you're with, build understanding of yourself, and increase that vulnerability and intimacy. Tool number seven, emotional literacy. This term was used extensively by Claude Steiner, who said, emotional literacy is made up of the ability to understand your emotions, the ability to listen to others and empathize with their emotions, and the ability to express emotions productively. To be emotionally literate is to be able to handle emotions in a way that improves your personal power and improves the quality of life around you. I think that is so beautiful. We often vilify emotions, wishing we felt less or wishing we felt more, but emotions are... They just are. They're providing us information at that present time, just like how libido is. So how can we use that information to empower us? Now, we have responsibility and power over how we respond to those emotions, but often we don't allow them to happen. We don't feel the feels where there are some emotions that we are okay with having and others that we don't allow ourselves to. The thing is, dark and light emotions are all necessary. They are all part of the human experience. If we shut down some of them, we shut down our ability to feel all of them. You can't selectively choose which emotions you want to feel more of or less than. You will shut down your ability to feel all if you repress or suppress. Working on this will help bring more awareness to your body, will help bring more safety and acceptance to yourself and enable yourself to explore yourself as a sexual being more. This means allowing your emotions to happen. So when an emotion's coming up, Are you recognizing it? Are you allowing it? And are you releasing it if needed? We can get lost in emotions, we can wallow in them, and that's not always healthy, but it is healthy to recognize, accept, and allow, and release if needed. Do you know how to meet other people's emotions? We can often get into situations where other people's emotions overwhelm us. We either empathize too much and we take on their emotions, or we don't allow them to happen. Sex, if somebody starts crying, what do you do? Do you shut down? If it appears that somebody's not emotional enough, do you have a story behind that? I invite you to identify where you allow emotions to happen, where you don't allow emotions to happen. And in those spaces where you don't allow them, how can you bring more gentleness? How can you bring more acceptance and awareness and non-judgment to those times? How can you build that capability up? Tool eight is build and respect your boundaries. Boundaries are incredibly important. They tell you about what you need to be safe to have healthy and authentic relationships. And this can be with yourself and with others. What I find is that our sexual desire can sometimes be affected by the fact that we don't listen to our boundaries, that we overstep them or we allow others to overstep them. 
This can be in multiple spaces. Your partner might be overstepping boundaries in parts of your life. They might not be allowing you to have the space you've asked for. They might talk over you in conversation. They might not let you speak. And you might let that occur. You might not uphold your boundary and bring the consequence to play. What you're doing is you are not being authentic. You are not stepping into your power. And what I find is that often authentic sexuality requires us to be in our power. It invites us to step into who we are authentically. So if we're not turning up in our relationships authentically, if we're not having boundaries with our time and our space and our resources, for example, I'm on my phone too much or I don't say no enough. So I have too many competing things for my time. I find my sexual desire plummets because I'm not respecting my boundaries. I am not being authentic. I am not stepping into my power. Identifying these boundaries are really important. Have you shared them with your partner? Do they know about your boundaries? Do they know what happens if they don't respect your boundaries? Do you feel safe opening up to them and sharing these things that are really important to you? If you don't feel safe opening up with this person, how do you expect to feel safe enough to surrender in sex? How do you think this will impact your ability to connect with this person? I find that everything that is happening in my relationship outside of sex is exaggerated in sex. For example, if I don't feel like my partner is listening to me or cares about how I feel and I think he's overstepped boundaries or I haven't put boundaries in place or respected my own boundaries, this can show up during sex. It might show up as a story, for example, that he doesn't care about my pleasure. It might cause me to mentally and emotionally distance myself from him. Sometimes this triggers me into a dissociated state. If I don't share my boundaries or respect my boundaries, I can't turn up fully safely in sex. And knowing these boundaries are key to communicating them. In a couple of weeks, I will be releasing an episode on boundaries, what they are, who they're for, how you can bring them more into your life, what they sound like, how to uphold them. These types of questions I will answer in that episode. Tool number nine, focus on how you want to feel sexually just as much as what you might want to do sexually. If you completed the exercises in tool number two around context, you will have identified what feels good for you sexually. And I want you to really focus on this. How do you want to feel sexually? Do you want to feel cherished? Do you want to feel safe, joyful? Do you want to feel slutty, adored, charismatic, sexy? How do you want to feel? And you don't have to want to feel the same all the time. Sometimes I want to feel like a slut. Sometimes I want to feel like a good girl. Sometimes I want to feel like I'm so designed. And sometimes I just want to feel loved. I want to feel all these things. So I note those down. I go, these are the things I want to feel. And I want to own them. I want to be okay feeling these. So really bring awareness to how you want to feel. And then when you're in those moments, go, this is how I want to feel. How can I step into it? And if this situation is not conducive for this feeling, how can I own that? How can I share that that's not what I'm feeling? And how can I change it into a situation which is conducive for that feeling if I have the agency and power to do that? Often I find that we don't share these things enough with the people we're going to have sex with. I really recommend do as many of these tools with sexual partners as you possibly can. Information is power. So knowing more about others and knowing more about ourselves is key to us stepping into ourselves as that sexually authentic being. The tenth tool I want to discuss might be seen as quite a controversial one, but in all honesty, it's probably the one that's working the most for me and my partner. My friend actually talked about it once to me, and we discussed that she read somewhere the idea of just do it. My initial thoughts when I heard her say that you should just have sex was, oh my god, no, you should not be forcing yourself to have sex. You shouldn't be forcing yourself to want something you don't want. It's so dangerous. And then I realized, wait a second, what she's talking about is not about forcing yourself to have sex when you actually don't want it. It's about starting the process, so just doing it. Just start the process and go from there. And it's what my partner and I had actually been discussing and what we'd been incorporating into our lives. My partner has quite a sensitive sexual break and really affected by context. So when he's really tired or stressed, his sexual desire is lower, and that's really normal. However, in our discussions, he's shared with me that he still wants sex, and he knows his body wants sex. It's just that there's this barrier between himself and and the desire for sex. Through this, we talked about how we really value our sex lives. We value the connection it brings, the intimacy it brings. We value the pleasure. We value being in our bodies. We value what it does for our relationship. And because we value it, because it's something we actually do really want, we want to build a space which is conducive to sex. We want to put the effort in to have sex. So we came to the conclusion that we don't want to stop having sex just because one of us might have low libido. We don't want to force ourselves to have sex, but we want to work at it. So we started to work at it. What this meant is that we will start the process. So one of us might actively say, hey, today do you want to have sex? And the other one will say if they do or they don't. And if they're like, yeah, let's let's give it a go. Then 
sometime during that day we'll either decide to do it or one of us might just start cuddling the other person or just start stroking their arms and we slowly build ourselves into the process of getting to a sexual state and most of the time it works because we're in the present moment we take the pressure off we don't say to ourselves we have to have sex we don't say what sex has to look like we don't have to have penetration we sometimes just mutually masturbate or give oral or just touch each other's bodies but being in the presence of that person and releasing that pressure and expectation usually enables us to build the sexual desire. There's something about being on the journey, focusing on the journey, like I said, removing the goal. And we start the process, we see where it goes, we get curious, and we start exploring with each other. And we find that this builds the pleasure, this builds our arousal and builds our desire. And then we're keen, then we want it, then it's like we're horny as fuck. It's really important to go, do you want sex? Is there just a barrier between you and your desire? And do you just need to navigate that barrier? Do you need to acknowledge that it's there? Identify any information that might be giving you and saying, hey, thank you so much. Yep, I know that there could be some other things in my life which are causing my desire to be limited. Or maybe that's just the part of my life where my libido is not that high, but I want to have sex and I'm going to put the actions in place to do it. But sometimes we get to a space where we start the process and we realize it's not working for us. We're not feeling it. We're just not in the mood. We share that with each other and we ask for what we need. So I've asked for just cuddling before. Sometimes I really try to get into desire and arousal space, but I just can't. So I have to be honest with myself. What do I need in that moment? Opening the communication pathways. Um, it's not always easy. Many of us have had performative sex. We prioritize the other person's pleasure over our own. So we might just feel like, oh, I'll just go ahead and do it. When really our bodies are telling us, no, I don't want it. Cultivating that relationship with your body is key to this one because you don't want to force yourself to do something you don't actually want to do what you want to be doing is inviting the space for desire and arousal to appear which sometimes takes a little bit of work how my partner likens it is going to the gym he says that often you don't want to go to the gym but you really love when you're at the gym right you're like fuck i feel so good at the gym but getting to the gym is so difficult he sees this like that he knows he loves sex he knows he wants that feeling of how amazing sex is and the connection it builds for us but getting to there feels so daunting and big sometimes so actually it's just doing it. It's taking the plunge and just seeing once you get to the gym, you actually do want it. You know, sometimes we do get to the gym and we leave because we don't. That's the same. Be honest with yourself. What are your needs? Our sexual relationship is unique. We can make the rules for our sexual relationship with ourselves and our sexual relationship with others. It doesn't have to be determined by what other people's relationships are like or by what society dictates it to be. And if you want things to change in your life, you have responsibility to make those changes. However, in a relationship, it is up to the parties of the relationship to come on board. You can't always drive everything yourself. So recognize that if you're really trying to improve something and the people in your relationship are not, then you potentially need to make some decisions which are going to be hard. The 11th tool is quite different from the just do it. It is about putting boundaries around sex. And this could look like taking sex off the table completely. The fact is that sometimes the pressure of having sex is just too much and the idea of having to do it or the idea of having to do all these tools around sex can make us feel numb, it can make us dissociate, can make us not want sex more and I think it's okay to take sex off the table in your life. You can go on a hiatus from sex and this can be for as long as you want. For example, my partner and I have said let's take sex off the table for two weeks. We're not going to have sex. We're just going to focus on spending time with each other, enjoying each other, building intimacy. And we just don't want to have sex because the pressure is just too much. And it's having an effect on how we turn up together in our relationship. And it's so great. Just taking that pressure off is such a release. And I know I've discussed it with people who have done this or who want to do this because the idea of sex just causes them so much angst and anxiousness. So it's okay to say to yourself, hey, I don't want to masturbate or self-pleasure for a certain amount of time. I don't want to have sex with another person for a certain amount of time. You can discuss this with your partner saying, hey, what do you think about this? And it doesn't have to look one way. For example, you can take sex off the table completely or you can put boundaries around the sex that you do have. For example, you could take penetration off the table and you could say, hey, you know, we can do touch and we can do oral, but I don't want penetration. You could say, I don't want oral either. I just want touch. So you can put boundaries around what this might look like. But the main focus here is taking the pressure off. Like I've mentioned throughout this whole episode is there are a lot of expectations around sex. Sometimes it is just too much for us. You know when you go to the gym too much and you're starting to hate the process and you just don't want to go or you're not seeing the results you want 
it's okay to take a break. It's about listening to yourself, listening to your needs, respecting yourself and following through. And we can feel really guilty for this because if we're in a relationship, we feel like we owe it to the person we're with, right? But what you really owe to the person you're with is being authentic, is being truthful about where you are in your life and your desires and needs. And in a relationship, we need to turn up as our authentic selves. And what it does is it provides an opportunity for our partner to meet us in those needs. And it can really tell you a lot into how your partner shows up. Now, they might get a bit defensive. They might get a bit scared because they might be making stories in their mind saying, oh my gosh, this person doesn't want me. Oh my gosh, does this mean we'll never have sex again? But sitting down, having an open discussion, identifying that your love or your desire for them hasn't shifted. It's just that you want the pressure of sex to be off. That is okay. If this resonates with you, be honest with yourself. Is this the tool that you want to try? And if it is, give it a go. Because if you give it a go, you are likely to find out more about yourself. You might find that over that period of time, that two weeks, that month, that two months, whatever you've decided, that your desire increases. And that is a good indication that the pressure was causing your libido to lessen. If your libido is high and you're wanting to just take a little bit more control back over your sex life, you might find that taking the pressure off, focusing on something else in your life or focusing on something else in your relationship reduces your libido to a state that feels more comfortable and aligned with your true and authentic self. So putting boundaries around sex taking sex off the table can provide you the space to know more about yourself sexually because if we're just going through our run-of-the-mill processes around sex we're not allowing ourselves that open space to find out the truth the last tool i will discuss is about owning your trauma there might be some things from your past that you have not acknowledged and that scare you which is so normal and okay But these can turn up in who we are as a sexual being. They can affect how we feel about ourselves as a sexual being, our libido, the sex we have with ourselves and with others. This can be from sexual trauma, for example, sexual harassment, assault, rape, anything that's come up in your past. It could be that you weren't respected during sex in the past or that there have been negative or harmful or toxic experiences around yourself as a sexual being or sex itself. These can show up as trauma. Also, trauma impacting your libido might not be from sexual trauma. This could be from being a minoritized person. For example, you could be a queer person with a lot of stigma and shame and a really difficult journey that you've had to get to where you are today that have affected how you identify yourself as a sexual being. You could be a fat person who's had to go through a society which is anti-fat. And once again, the stigma, potentially guilt, potentially shame or other dark emotions could be affecting how you see yourself as a sexual person. People who are from cultures that have been colonized or oppressed might have difficulty building relationships with their bodies cultivating acceptance and friendship with who they are because they've grown up in societies which have told them they're not enough they are less than often you can be in survival mode when you're an oppressed group it is difficult to get into thriving mode when you are in that surviving mode this can also be the case if you're a woman i am of the opinion that basically all societies in the globe are patriarchal however there are some societies which have more stronger patriarchal forces than others and patriarchy can affect how we see ourselves how we see our worth how we see ourselves fitting into society the value we place on ourselves in that society the value we give our pleasure and our ability to authentically turn up as we see fit sometimes we're not safe to do this sometimes we're in a society where it is not safe to be authentically who we are and this affects our ability to step into ourselves, to step into our power and this is not your fault you are not responsible for the society you grew up in however as much as it is safely possible we are responsible for who we are currently and the steps we want to take ahead for those of us who are affected by our past and that past is not currently our present we're responsible for making the changes if we are still in the current environment which is impeding our ability to turn up authentically take that into consideration that you can be responsible for how you respond in the society you grew up in but you only have so much impact when the society is oppressing you it could be that your relationship with yourself as a sexual being has been impacted by how the world sees potentially people like you and how that's impacted how you see yourself which has Lead to trauma because trauma is the perception of our reality. You might think, no, but nothing really bad's happened to me. 
that doesn't matter. Because if you perceived it as trauma, if your body perceived something as unsafe and dangerous and your brain responded to that and it wasn't released in the appropriate way at the time, you could be holding on to trauma. And I recommend going to seek expert support for this. You can focus on all the other tools if you want. However, there will be a ceiling into how much this will impact you if you have not looked at your trauma. And if your trauma is affecting your sexual desire, then the other things are only going to get you so far. Seeking support is difficult. Maybe you need to go to a GP and check your sexual health. I haven't discussed it in any of this, but actually our sexual health and the stigma around STIs can really impact how we see ourselves as a sexual being and how sexually desirable we feel and how much we want sex because there's so much shame, there's so much fear, there's so much fear of rejection when we have STIs. If this is the case, I recommend seeing therapy. I really recommend finding resources which help destigmatize what you're going through, reclaiming your space and your worthiness. You are inherently worthy, okay? You do not need to do anything to prove your worth because whoever you are at this moment is fucking worthy. However, trauma can affect our ability to move into that state of worthiness and power. So seek help if you need it. Those are tools that I think that can help you to have agency over your libido. And as I mentioned, it's actually just having agency over yourself. These tools are really about knowing yourself and building and cultivating that relationship with yourself. And the real nugget, I think, is curating that relationship with yourself. You get to determine what you want that relationship with your body, with your sexuality, with other people to look like. You can lead by your desires. You are worthy of leading a life that meets your needs and wants. You are worthy of owning your pleasure. You are worthy of being a sexual being, fucking stepping into your amazing juiciness. I hope these have been interesting. I hope they've been helpful. Let me know your feedback. I would love to hear it. It's been a real pleasure creating this. And I know I'm going to think back and go, oh, I wish I discussed this. And oh, I wish I said this. But thank God for future podcast episodes because I could potentially talk about them then. Remember, what I've discussed is not exhaustive. It is not individual advice. I don't know your individual circumstances. And also note that you don't have to do all of these tools. It's about listening, seeing if anything jumps out at you, identifying what you could potentially take into your life and give a go I do recommend that you do tool one and two because I think they help everybody but the other 10 tools what resonates with you you get to make this decision I hope you've got something out of this which provides you more information on yourself which helps you to identify that you are okay and you're not broken you don't need to be fixed I'm not here to fix you you don't need to fix yourself however you do have the power and you also have the responsibility to lead the life you want to live. I hope these tools will help you do that if you choose to. Have an amazing week, everyone, and I'll talk to you soon.